Thanks, Glenda. Thanks, Di. Thanks, Campbell. That song just finishes, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, we're, we're at the final week in our series, Christ Mission Church, following Jesus on mission together. And, and what we've been learning is that, that our understanding of Jesus, of who he is, of, of, of what he is like, of what it is that he wants, our, our Christology, that really, really matters. We've also been learning that our understanding of what Jesus is doing in history, his, his mission and how all of that leads toward his vision of life together, our understanding of mission, our missiology, well, that really matters too. And our understanding of us, his people, uh, living together in ways that resemble him, our, our ecclesiology, that matters as well. And underneath all of this, what also matters is that we've got some kind of overarching grasp of the story that holds all of those things together. To understand Christ his mission and his church in any meaningful way, we need to consider the whole story, the story of Israel from, from Genesis to Revelation and, and beyond. You cannot pluck Jesus or mission or church out of the story and expect for it to make any sense. Right back at the start of the series, you might remember that I suggested to you that the story that the Bible tells is fundamentally a political story. It's a story about a king. It's a story about a kingdom, about the public affairs of a particular people group under that particular government. It's a story about the laws of that kingdom, about its economy, its society, its culture, it's about its customs, its heroes and its villains and its victories and its defeats. The Bible tells a political story. It's only secondarily a spiritual book and only insofar as the jurisdiction of this kingdom transcends both seen and unseen realms. It's only an ethical and ideological book insofar as it reflects the ethic of the kingdom and the ideology of its king. And it's a religious book only insofar as the people who were set apart to rule mistakenly turned it into a religious system, which it was never meant to be. Scott McKnight, you might have heard of, of him in an excellent book called The King Jesus Gospel. It's a bit of a chewy book, but I really commend it to you. King Jesus Gospel, he writes this, he says, God chose one person, Abraham, and then through him one people, Israel, and then later the church to be God's priests and rulers in this world on God's behalf. What Adam was to do in the garden, that is to govern this world redemptively on God's behalf, is the mission God gives to Israel. Like Adam, Israel failed and so did its kings. So God sent his son to do what Adam and Israel and the kings did not and evidently could not do and to rescue everyone from their sins and systemic evil and Satan the adversary. Hence the son is the one who rules as Messiah and Lord. 
What God does in sending the Son is to establish Jesus as the Messiah, which means King. And God established in Jesus Christ the kingdom of God, which means the king is ruling in his kingdom. We need to restate this. The idea of king and a kingdom are connected to the original creation. God wanted the icons, the image bearers, Adam and Eve, to rule in this world. They failed, so God sent his son to rule. As its king and Messiah and Lord, the son commissions the church to bear witness to the world of the redemption in Jesus Christ, the true king, and to embody the kingdom as the people of God. Christ, mission, church. We probably could have just read that and dispensed with the whole series. But we did the series anyway. And so, so here's kind of the snapshot of our last eight weeks. So we started off looking at Christ, our Christology, and week one we looked at the idea of the Messiah. Jesus is the promised king who fulfilled all of the promises of Israel. The story of creation and fall and slavery and exodus and law and prosperity and prophecy and exile, it's all the setup to understanding Messiah, the Son of God, the anointed and the promised King. Jesus of Nazareth, the promised Messiah, is the resolution to the Israel story. Then we looked at the idea that this Jesus, that Christ is King. He is the crowned and enthroned sovereign ruler over the entire cosmos. He is the Lord and owner over all creation. Since in a kingdom the king is the law and this king is love, that means that love is the law, the supreme law. Love is the ultimate order of the cosmos. And the call to you and I is to ally ourselves to this king. And this is the proper meaning of the word believe, to believe properly is to pledge allegiance to the king of all creation and this king of course has a kingdom and the kingdom of God this is God's big idea this is his vision this is his dream the kingdom of peace the reign of love where all relationships are restored are put right the fundamental order of this kingdom is is loving union oneness Jesus describes this dream remember in in his prayer in John 17 praying to his father and he says I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity this is the vision of God that within Christ that we would be citizens of his kingdom, a kingdom established and upheld with justice and righteousness. And this is where we shifted into talking about mission, missiology. Justice and righteousness, they are the dimensions, they are the absolutes of the kingdom. We read in Isaiah 9 that, that he, that God will establish and will uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. In Psalm 89, we read that, that righteousness and justice are the foundation 
of your throne. These are the core principles of the kingdom order, justice and righteousness. And taken together under his perfect authority, under his perfect and perfect government, justice and righteousness literally declare the restoration of all relationships between all things in accordance with his sovereign order. That's justice. Restoring right relationships between all things. Relationships between us and God. A relationship with ourselves. A relationships between one another. Relationships with all of creation. Reordered. Put right. Through love. And this is the mission of God. The Missio Dei. By definition, justice and righteousness, they, they demand the restoration and the inclusion of the poor, the widow, uh, the orphan and the outsider. Kingdom, kingdom oneness demands that no one is left out. No one is left behind. All are to be restored and brought in. This is the mission. And the consequence of this mission, the consequence of establishing and upholding the kingdom with justice and righteousness, the consequence of restoring the order of love is shalom. Shalom, which we translate as peace, is the social order of the kingdom of God. Shalom is what love looks like when it's fully mature. Shalom is, is what happens when love is spread like yeast through the dough. Unity, freedom, flourishing, beauty, wholeness, loving union between God, people and things. And so we point ourselves now in the direction of shalom as signposts and as restorers of right relationship, as doers of justice and righteousness. And the New Testament word for this is reconciliation. Reconciliation is simply the process of putting relationships right. Reconciliation is the one word summary of the mission of God. Steve Stewart, a few weeks ago, he reminded us that that reconciliation demands a big gospel. Because in Jesus, God was and God is reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. The cross stands at the centre of space and time and matter as a new genesis. All things made new, including you and me. And not just you and me as objects of this renewal, but you and me as agents of renewal. Together we are ministers of reconciliation. We are agents of shalom. It's you and me establishing and upholding the social order of the kingdom. And then together we are the set-apart citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom. We are the ecclesia, the church. We are the people who live in restored relationship with God and we extend that restoration to the ends of the earth. 
We are the ones who live in accordance with the society and with the culture and with the law and with the economy of the kingdom. We are the ones who are allied to the king of kings. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom on diplomatic mission to earth, to our homes, to our streets, to our workplaces. So when we think about all of these things in this way, to say that we are Christian, Christian, it must minimally operate at the same level as when we say that we are Australian. That by citizenship, that we are associated with this country, with its society, with its culture, with its government, to say that we are Christian is to say that we are citizens of God's kingdom and that we are subjects of King Jesus. To say that we are Christian is to be, to be grafted into the story that the Bible tells, into its history and into its family and into its trajectory and that it's these things that are shaping our understanding of our identity. It's these things that are shaping our imagination and our labour. Even more than that, to say that we are Christian is to say that we are Christ-ish. That there is something about you that resembles the king himself. There's something about your values, something about your behaviour, something about your mindset that is reminiscent of Jesus, that is observably Christish. And even more than that, to say that we are Christian is to say, as Paul does, over and over and over again, that you are in him. And this is the thrust and the punchline of the whole book. That somehow the life of Christ has become irrevocably fused together with the life of Lee, the life of Beck, the life of David, the life of Di. The king is not some separate external other, separate from you. You have become one. What all of this means is that you and I, we are carrying within us and we are carrying among us the truth of ultimate belonging. We are carrying the truth of divine community, of destiny, of the meaning of life and not just as some story that we know or a belief that we hold, but a divine person who has forever fused his being together with yours. Even you, Dale. So by definition, since you are in him and he is in you, then his mission has become yours too, has become mine too. To be... Christian, Christian, as a matter of necessity, is to be a missionary. You are a missionary because Christ is a missionary and you are in him. You're a child of God because he is a child of God and you are in him. You have eternal life because he has eternal life and you are in him. 
You are made righteous because he is righteous and you are in him. You are a missionary because he is a missionary. Pete was trying to drum this into our hearts for a couple of weeks in a, in a row. Jesus speaking to the disciples in John 14. He says, on, on that day you will realise. On that day you will know. On that day it's going to become apparent to you that it is already true that I am in my Father, you are in me and I am in you. This is the biggest truth there is, you know. Paul writes in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he writes in Colossians 3, verse 2, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Christ's mission is to establish, it is to, it is to uphold the kingdom of peace with justice and righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. And since you are in him, since he is your life, then this is your life too. You're a missionary. I'm a missionary. In the same way that Jesus mended the broken relationship between creator and creation through self-sacrificial love, that's what we do too. We reconcile broken relationships all around us, reconciling them with the cosmic order of love. Relationships between God, people and things put right relationship by relationship by relationship. This oneness that we have with him and therefore with one another, this is the destiny of creation. All things reconciled and summed up in him. Look at this, Ephesians 1, Paul writing. He, God, has made known to us the secret of his purpose. How good is it to know that? The secret of his purpose, just as he wanted it to be, and he set it, set it forward in him as a blueprint. When the time was right, his plan was to sum up the majority of the cosmos in the king. Yes, most things in heaven, and if we're lucky, quite a bit of stuff on earth too, in him. No. His plan was to sum up the whole cosmos in the king. Yes, underlined, everything in heaven and on earth in him. This is the destiny of all things. Yes, everything summed up, reconciled in him. And by Christ within you, you are a minister of this reconciliation. You are a carrier of this good news a representative ambassador of this scandalously inclusive kingdom. And you know, I reckon we make this more complex, we make this more otherworldly than it needs to be. But whenever we function in a way that restores the right order of things, we are participating in the ministry of reconciliation. 
You might struggle with this a bit. Paul writes this in Colossians 3. He, he says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to, through him, to God the Father. Do everything as a commissioned ambassador of the king. That's who you are. Represent him and the order of his kingdom in everything, no matter how lofty, no matter how mundane. When you restore things to their right order in his name, as a representative, you are fulfilling your ambassadorial mandate. You are functioning on kingdom mission. Some of you might be old enough to remember this. As Joyce Myers said, take the trolley back. Reconcile the trolley with the trolley bay. Right? When you're at the beach, take three for the sea. There is no junk on the beaches of the kingdom of God. Reconcile the beach with the kingdom order. That's an ambassadorial act. Clean up your own mess. Swim between the flags. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Be quick to forgive, slow to anger. Give to the red shield appeal. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Buy a hamper. Think of others more highly than yourself. Pray for somebody's healing. Turn up to work on time. Oh my goodness. Say thank you. Say I'm sorry. Pick up a tea towel. Let someone in in front of you. Settle differences quickly. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Cultivate the eyes to see the brokenness in your everyday life and then point it in the direction of shalom with the power of the spirit that is within you. Work to reconcile relationships between God, people and things one little bit of brokenness at a time. Is it that hard? It is for me. And then if somebody asks you about your strange behaviour as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. When we understand our redemptive mandate that it includes all things, then this ministry of reconciliation can and and ought to extend to every single nook and cranny of our existence. In him you're an agent of renewal. You are a minister of of reconciliation you are a commissioned advocate for peace you are an ambassador of the king you are on a diplomatic mission to reveal and to represent ultimate reality the kingdom order of love it is the only thing with a future this is the great commission as disciples as christ's Padawan ambassadors go and express the culture of the kingdom, immersing one another into the triune relationship of love and teach others to do the same. This is our shared calling. We are on mission with Christ to establish and to uphold the kingdom of peace with justice and righteousness on earth as it is in heaven, one trolley at a time. To be Christian is to be a missionary. And it's this community of missionaries that we call church.
When we gather on a Sunday, that's all it is. It is the gathering of missionaries called in from the field. This is the 90 minutes we've got off each week. Christopher Wright writes this. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. The mission has a church. You know, the church in Australia is in its seventh straight decade of decline. In fact, you can see the end from here. In spite of great efforts to connect with and be relevant to culture, expensive marketing campaigns and discipleship programs and great production and wonderful music and evangelistic outreach and church planting and podcasts and more books that you can poke a stick at, we are still in decline. Congregations are ageing. I can feel it. <laughs> Giving and volunteering are declining. The kids who say yes to Jesus while they are at school or while they are at youth, between 50, minimally 50, up to 80% of them will reject that decision by the time they hit the workforce and they're not coming back anymore. This is not a marketing problem. It's not a relevance problem. It's not a program problem. It's not even a discipleship problem. It's a story problem. It's a gospel problem. We're not telling, we're not embodying, we're not showing. I'm not telling, I'm not embodying, I'm not showing the world a big enough, beautiful enough, meaningful enough story, a story that we actually get to participate in and even co-author. The story that the Bible tells is of a cosmos-wide, eternity-long restoration of an ultimate reality, a kingdom of everlasting peace bound together with love itself. With a human king who, as well as enthroned beside the Father in ultimate authority, simultaneously resides in your heart. This king, this creator, love itself is within you, is within me, reconciling, summing up everything on heaven and everything in earth and under the earth into himself and he has commissioned you and has commissioned me to be agents of that reconciling love. This is not a say you're sorry, pray the prayer, be good, go to heaven one day story. That story is puny. You're an ambassador of ultimate reality. You are commissioned to express and to extend kingdom rule on planet earth. By the power of his redemptive spirit within and among us, we are mending relationships between all things and we are doing it all in the name of the cosmic king. I believe that if we, me, the church, were to grasp the true grandeur of it if we were to live 
from that story. If we were to define reality by its light, then the receding tide in the Australian church would turn in an instant. Lord, let it be. Would you pray with me? Would you stand up? We're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer together because that's what this prayer is. This prayer is that let it be prayer. Would you say it with me? Our Father in heaven, loud, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.